time together, Lord. We thank you for worship, God. How, how incredible it is that we can be ushered into your very presence. And that's what we feel already, God. And so, Lord, as we come to you, we ask that you would transform us by the renewing of your minds through your word today. So, Lord, I ask that you would anoint, God, this time with your Holy Spirit. I pray your spirit would be strong here as we go through your word. So speak to us as we have ears to hear what the Spirit says. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you guys heard of the Jelly Belly Company. It's a jelly bean company. And they've, I, was, I, was, I, I, I stumbled upon this, but they actually put out this game called Bean Boozled. It's, it's an eating jelly beans game. What you do is you spin this wheel on top of the container there, and whatever color the pointer lands on is the color of the jelly bean you pick inside the container and eat. Now, the challenge to this game is this. There's two flavors of the same color. One is really good tasting and one is really bad tasting. So it's, it's a chance sort of game with whatever color the point points to and what you eat. For example, this, there's jelly beans in there. They're called the birthday cake and it tastes like a birthday cake. But it's the same color as the dirty dishwater jelly bean. Or there's a juicy pear and that's the same color as the booger. That's what they say. Other flavors are like chocolate pudding or canned dog food. I don't know how they test that. Yeah, well, yeah, this tastes like canned dog food. Another one is tutti frutti or stinky socks. Another one is buttered popcorn or the same color is the rotten egg. I don't know about you. It sounds like fun, you know, kind of like woohoo, yeah. Now, they also offer some other interesting flavors that they have created in combining two different jelly bean flavors into one jelly bean. There's one flavor they say on the outside and on the inside a different flavor and then when you chew it it comes together to give you this whole other kind of flavor. For example peanut butter and jelly. Isn't that interesting? You have peanut butter outside jelly in the middle or chocolate banana. There's those flavors. Or they have this. They take blueberry and buttered popcorn, actually. And when you chew that together, they say it tastes like a blueberry muffin. Or another one is lemon and coconut. And you come out with lemon meringue pie. I like that one. Well, amazing to me how they can take two flavors and put them into one jelly bean. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of Hebrews, the writer shows the Jewish believers two different attributes of one God. And he does this by looking at the past old covenant and comparing it to the present new covenant. And so here in our passage today, we find that God is both holiness and love. And that's the title of our message this morning, Holiness and Love. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 18 through 29. We're going to finish off this chapter this morning. I've broken our passage up into three sections, and this is our outline. Number one, the separation. Number two, the salvation. And number three, the situation. So holiness and love, we're going to see these three things, but we're going to begin with number one, the separation. 
the separation. Now we're going to be covering Hebrews 12 from verse 18 through 21 in this first section, the separation. Take a look with me here now. Just the first two verses, 18 and 19. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest. Verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. We're going to stop right there and take these first two verses. Now, here we begin with the writer saying how the Jewish believers have not come to this mountain that can be basically physically touched. That's what he means by that. So what mountain is he talking about? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. So you could put a note there in your Bibles. He's talking about Mount Sinai that the Israelites on their wilderness journey actually went to. Mount Sinai here represents the old covenant with the law. It was there, you remember, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and Moses gave to the people. So the writer's like, hey, you Jewish believers, you have not come to God today at their present time by the old way through the law. Now, when the commandments were given, this is what is described here in our verses. This is the back that was seen what is described here is this manifestation of God's holy presence upon that mountain Mount Sinai so that's why he writes it burned with fire there was blackness and darkness and 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 a tempest a storm and wind it was like this big storm. And all this is described in Exodus 19. In, in, in that chapter, in Exodus 19, it also says that the mountain was covered with this thick cloud and lightning and thunder. And then here in our passage in Hebrews 12, in verse 19, it says that there was a sound of a trumpet. Now, many of the scholars and commentators believe it was blown by an angel, actually announcing the Lord who was to speak from that mountain. And also when he called up with, well, with the voice of words, he spoke the commandments, he spoke to the people, and he also called up Moses to come up to the mountain. And on hearing that holy voice, now think about this, the holy God with the holy voice coming out from the mountain, they in fear begged Moses back in Exodus 19 that the word should not spoken like, oh, we don't want to hear that anymore. We don't want to hear that. And, and, and so they asked Moses to speak to them and, and not the Lord directly. Then verse 20 here. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Verse 21, And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So the holiness of God, even in his voice, was so convicting to the people so much so they could not endure it. They could not take that conviction so much of what was commanded. God also warned them that not even an animal, not, not just people, but even an animal was not to touch this mountain, but to stay outside these borders. Why? Because of the presence of the holy God came upon Mount Sinai, and that mountain now was considered holy. And 
God's powerful holy presence was so awesome that even Moses, we see here, was trembling in awe as he made his way up the mountain to receive the commandments. So what we see here is this. This is the idea. Their forefathers, right, the Jewish forefathers who are reading this or hearing this, their forefathers at Mount Sinai faced the pure holiness of God without any provision so they could not come close to the holy God. Moses told the people in Exodus 20, 20 that God gave Israel this experience of truly seeing God in His holy essence so that, you know why? So that they would reverence Him. So that when He gave the commandments that they would not sin against the holy law. Sin, remember, and the holy God cannot be together, right? Because God is so pure and holy, so sin, they can't be together. And this was the the visible, this was the physical, this was all that God was showing them as he manifested his attribute of holiness uh, at that time. And if you think about it, right, even we've talked about this throughout our study in Hebrews, even in the Old Testament tabernacle, only one priest once a year could enter the holiest holies and he had to be ritually cleansed at that moment. Only him, not the people, could enter into the holiest holies, which was God's holy presence. In the Old Covenant, even the rituals and procedures of atonement you still saw the separation between the people and God. And so what you're seeing here, what the writers is, is putting down here is that image, is that thought, is that to see in the old way God's holiness and the people's sin kept them separated. This was the separation, thus our heading. John MacArthur wrote, The primary purpose of all these signs was to convince the people of the absolute unapproachableness of God. Sinful man could not come near him and live. Which brings us to the point here. The writer is saying this, You did not come to God through this old system where no one could really be close to God. You did not come to God through this old system where no one could really be close to God. And, and, and that's what he's putting out here. He goes, yeah, you remember back then? You remember Mount Sinai? Remember our forefathers? Remember, right, what they went through? No one could come to God through this old system. No one could really be close to God. There was this distance. There was this separation. You know, I was thinking about... Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys know how uh, Queen Keopolani, uh, she, was, she was believed to be like uh, the first um, ali'i uh, to give her life to Jesus Christ in around 1822. But before that, Keopolani was considered a kapu mo'e, which means she was this high-ranking uh, ali'i that uh, connected to what they believed, you know, so her, she was descended from the gods, quote-unquote. Uh, she was so high-ranking that anyone in her presence had to prostrate themselves face down, for it was even forbidden to look at her. In her, early, in her childhood and early adulthood, she never walked out during the daylight hours because the sun was not permitted to shine upon her. And she was so high-ranking Ali that if someone were to step on her shadow, they were to be killed. 
So think about that. A common person could not freely approach Queen Keopuani. Interesting to note, though, I was reading about some of the history of these uh, Lee who came to know Jesus during the revival back in the 1800s. Uh, one of the missionaries, William Richard, wrote that Keopalani had a tender heart, though. Even though this was believed of her, she would actually shelter people who broke the kapu system. And no wonder later her, Keopalani, and Ka'ahumanu did away with the old kapu system. Which is really interesting, uh, just a little side note here, that, that when Kamehameha died and they came into power, Kaumanu had a lot of power, and, and her and Kepalani decided to put, a, put, put away the Kapu system, which is within a year of when the missionaries came and landed in Hawaii. And if the Kapu system was still in place, probably the missionaries would never have been accepted, especially the truth of the Word of God. So some interesting things that God had put together. Well, like the boundaries in the old couple system, so the old Jewish system could not give free access to the Lord God. So that's why the writer is it's like, hey, think about this, you guys. Realize this. You did not come to God through this old system where no one could really be close to God. And that's what his point is. That's what he's getting them to think and realize this. Realize this, the, the systems where they came from. And you know what? You and I must realize that the old ways of trying to get to God never really worked. I mean, it was more frustration. There's no real progress or help in that at all. Perhaps maybe before Jesus, and maybe you come in here today and you remember, oh yeah, the different religions maybe you tried to follow. Or maybe, you know, you tried to do those good works, yeah, to try and get close to God. And you tried to, oh, well, well, maybe if I do this today, if I do something good or I help someone or give money or do this, that maybe God will give me favor and I could get forgiveness. Maybe he would accept me in that way. I mean, I think some of us, we're living our life that way, trying to get close to God and be accepted to the Lord in the past. But that's not the way anymore. I remember hearing a testimony of a man from India who, who grew up as a Hindu. And there they, they, were worship, they worship animals, all kinds of animals and stuff. And he was going through this really tough time in his testimony you're sharing. And he was not able to find peace from his guilt and his sin and all. And, and, and he didn't know what to do. He was beside himself. So he decided to go up to a cow nearby his house. And he went to the cow, bowed down to the animal, cried out to the animal, prayed to the animal, cried out for help to the sacred cow and who he believed in, right? So in tears, he cried out to help. And then he waited. And then the cow looked at him and said, Moo. <laughs> well, that was the moment. He said in his testimony that he, he realized, what am I doing? And he turned away from Hinduism and soon he found forgiveness and a lifting of his guilt in Jesus Christ. There's no other way, you guys, to find true atonement and get close to God except through Jesus. Before, it was separation. But now, you know what we have? The salvation. That's number two in our outline as the writer goes on. So first we've seen the separation. The writer's going to go on to the salvation. And we're going to cover Hebrews 12, 22, verse 22 through verse 24. 
We're beginning to see now holiness first come out. We're going to see the love. We've seen the separation, the salvation, and now now the salvation. Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And we'll stop there. Now the writer is saying, look, you have not come to God by the way of Mount Sinai, the old covenant. No, but now as he moves into these verses, you have come to God by way of Mount Zion, which represents the new covenant. Not the old covenant of of Mount Sinai, but now the new covenant of this Mount Zion. So the writer's bringing in this thought now, the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Now, Mount Zion basically is Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem sits on this mount, this plateau, and the temple is there too. But here the writer really speaks of the spiritual Jerusalem, and he says here, the heavenly city of the living God. So it's more than just Jerusalem itself, but I believe it's, it's heaven. I believe this picture is heaven, as we will see as we go through this. So in this heavenly Jerusalem, in this heavenly Mount Zion, First, he lists these things. First, you see on this mountain is angels. He says here, look, you've come to the place where there is an innumerable number of angels. And this is the thought. When we go to heaven, as believers go to heaven, we're going to get to live where angels dwell. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be in that eternal place. And then secondly, he says, you've also come to a celebration, first angel celebration. This general assembly in the original language means a festive gathering or a joyful celebration. So in heaven, you know what? There's, it's going to be a joyful, joyful celebration. Perhaps the trumpets that are going to be blowing there isn't like Mount Sinai, but it's going to be, woo-hoo, we're, we're going to be all together celebrating in that way. Now we have angels, a celebration. Next, the church is going to be there in heaven. Here he lists the church of the firstborn, which speaks of how, remember the firstborn in ancient times had the right to the inheritance? Well, all believers are considered the firstborn and receives the inheritance of heaven. And, and we're all there because believers are registered in heaven. Our names are written in the book of life, John 12, 27. So the church of the firstborn, the church of Christians who have the right to that inheritance like the ancient times the firstborn had. So we are there in heaven because of Jesus Christ. And then next we see Fourthly, God is there. It says, God, the judge of all. He is that, that one person in the world we want to be accountable to, and he's the judge of all, but we're going to be there with him because of Christ. He has, to me, he has to be there because heaven is not heaven without God, right? And then it lists the fifth thing, the Old Testament saints. It says here, spirits of just men made Perfect. Now, this speaks of those Old Testament saints, saints that have been put there, put their faith in the Messiah uh, as, the, as the way. Before even Jesus came to this earth, remember, they looked 
farther ahead to Messiah and, and like the Old Testament saints that we saw in the previous chapter. So these are the ones like Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, etc. So we see this Mount Zion is filled with incredible joy, angels, believers, and God himself, the Old Testament saints. So you notice the difference here from what he described in Mount Sinai in the earlier verses. Mount Sinai is more like a celebration, and it's a celebration of salvation, that our salvation in Christ is culminated, or it all comes together, finally completed when we're in heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ. So this is overall the salvation that's our heading. I was thinking about the celebration thing in Luke 15, 10. It says, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, right? So I can imagine when we're all home together, then there's going to be a huge celebration when we're all together finally in heaven. And then to the most important person of all believers, we come to verse 24 to jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of abel so mount zion and this is the sixth thing here is we come to jesus the mediator right jesus is the one who mediated our salvation right he died for our sins he died in place of us he paid the penalty of our sins and this is the new covenant, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So think about Mount Sinai represents the law. Mount Sinai represents Jesus and his sacrifice for our atonement, which believers have come to now, and this is the seventh thing here written in the verses, the blood of justification. Here the writer says the blood of sprinkling, which is Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. And interesting thing at the end of this verse it says and that speaks of better things than that of Abel now I believe that this really refers to of how the Lord in Genesis 4 10 told Cain after he killed his brother Abel remember the Lord said the voice of your brother cries out to me from the ground that's Genesis 4 10 well what does that mean I it's figurative in the sense that Abel's blood calls out for justice upon Cain who had killed them so the writer saying but there's better things of Abel Christ's blood speaks out better things in others Jesus offers grace and atonement see Mount Sinai can only say justice for the trespass of sin that is what holiness demands do you hear that? Do you understand that? Mount Sinai, the law, right? The holiness of God. God has to bring justice and judgment because of that sin. And that's what holiness demands. But that's Mount Sinai. But Mount Zion, you know what it says? Grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're, we're, we're saved by faith, right? By grace, we're saved through faith, right? So Mount Sinai is grace because Jesus willingly gave up his life to save sinners. All of us who have already sinned, that we were sinners already. And that's what love does. So you see the different. Mount Zion is the holiness. 
and just, justice and judgment. Whereas Mount Zion is grace and the love of God found in Jesus Christ and what he done for us. So here's the writer saying, hey, this is the idea. You Jewish believers, you did not come to God through Mount Sinai. No, you came through the love in Mount Zion. Zion. It wasn't through that holiness through Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, that kept us apart. It was unapproachable. But we can now come close to God through love and grace in Mount Sinai. Zion, sorry. <laughs> Someone wrote this. Mount Sinai was judgment and death. Mount Zion is forgiveness and life. Mount Sinai was fearful with it with its limits. Mount Sinai is gracious and inviting. Mount Sinai was close to all. Mount Zion is open to all. Mount Sinai was unapproachable. Mount Zion is approachable. Mount Sinai speaks of condemnation. Mount Zion speaks of justification. So this is how the Jewish believers came to know God today. It was through Jesus Christ, through the grace, through the love. Now remember, the writer is saying all of this. Why? Well, the background. You remember the background? Remember how these Jewish believers, these Christian Jewish believers are facing pressure from their family and fellow Jews to leave Jesus, go back to their old riches, go back to the traditions, right? Go back to trying justification to the law and good works. It doesn't work, the writer is saying. Look. How did you get close to God? How, how did you come to this place of eternal life and security with a, a eternity in heaven with God and angels and all the other believers? How was it? It wasn't through Mount Sinai. It was through Mount Zion. It was through Jesus Christ. The writer's trying to show them that your closeness to God was not the old way, but through the new way of how God sent Jesus to die for our sins and His provision on the cross that He did. And it was all because of God's love and let me add this now in context of this chapter right last time i was with you a few weeks ago right we were talking about keep running right keep running in the race keep running and so in context of this whole chapter of running your spiritual race the writer saying hey don't listen to like these jeers and boos of those on the sideline sideline making you feel like giving up on jesus no Remain in the race. Keep running. and Running what has gotten you this far, basically. And that will bring you all the way home to the finish to be in heaven. To come home to the heavenly, to the spiritual Mount Zion. So don't go back to those works. Don't go back to those Jewish ways. No, think about where you are now and how God has got you that far. Well, that brings us to this second point, and this point of this section is this. Realize that you were able to come to God by this new system of grace, so stay to this course. That's what the writer's pushing here. Realize that you were able to come to God by this new system of grace, so stay, stick to this course. Why go back, right? Why? You know, you have salvation now. Before, separation, but now it's salvation. Stay here. Don't go back. You know, in Okinawa, <clears throat> there was this, there's this place called Morikawa Park. And uh, 
it's a, there's a natural spring that flows out of this park. And Pastor Tommy was sharing with me that long, long ago in the, in, in the ancient times of Okinawa, the Okinawan people used to go there to get their water for the day. They go there every day. Uh, they, it was a gathering place where they get together. And also down the river, down this stream in this where, river, they would actually wash their clothes. And, you know, the old way you know, washing their clothes and everything like that. And, and I was thinking about that, how, wow, that, that was the old, old day. They washed their clothes. But today, you go to Okinawa today, guess what? Everyone has washing machines, right? Most people have dryers, and sometimes they just hang the clothes. But everyone has washing machines. And, and so I was thinking, you know, what if someone went to Morikawa Park and just began to wash their clothes there like, like ancient times? I mean, you think, why? Why would you want to go back to that day? Why, you know, why would you go, go back or, or, you know, make your wife do a goal and wash the clothes in the spring? You know, you, you would never do that. We have washing machines right there in your house now. You know, well, that's what the writer is ask, asking and saying to the Jewish believers under pressure to leave Jesus and go back to the way of, of the law in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai. Why go back to the law and think that that will bring you close to God, that that will give you access to God? No, that was a time of separation. But now we have salvation, and now we can have this close relationship with God himself. Ephesians 2.13, Paul wrote, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me ask you today, after you've been saved by grace, have you gone back to those works again? Have you gone back to that thinking that, oh, well, I got to do something good and maybe... Bad things are happening because, well, maybe I, I got to do some good things or I wasn't good enough or, or all that. Or maybe you grew up in a church or even a religion that it was more performance-based. And now after some time in Jesus, you know, after these years, you, you started to slide back into those old beliefs. Maybe you're here and you're under some pressure, maybe from family, to give up Jesus and go back to the old religion. Maybe all of that is bringing some doubt in your mind, right? Well, I don't, does God really love me? Is, can I be close to God? I mean, can I really have a relationship with the Lord? Did what I first believed, did, 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 is it really real? Sometimes those thoughts start floating in, right? And we kind of slide back into our old way of thinking and we forget all that we learned. Well, Jesus is real, and what he did, he really did. Jesus, he did die for your sins, and we can have that relationship with him because of justification now, because of his blood now, because we are forgiven, you guys, and we can now have this relationship. And then with that, you know what? We can have a real peace, a real forgiveness. Our guilt can be lifted. The writer saying, stay the course, you guys. Stay in this race. And I say to you today, don't revert back. Don't slide back. Stay on that course with Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's go on to number three now, the situation in our outline. The situation. We see holiness and love. We see number one this, in our title now, number one, the separation, the salvation, and now 
the writer brings up this situation, which really is a call to action for us. And we're going to be covering the rest of this chapter, 25, verses 25 through 29. Hebrews 12, 25 says this, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. We'll stop there. Okay, the writer says, so now it is vital that you do not refuse or reject God's word. That's the idea. Don't reject what the Lord is saying here. For if the Israelites back then in Mount Sinai rejected the voice of God on earth back then in that time and did not escape judgment, when they did not obey God's word, you know what? They didn't escape judgment at all. So he's saying, then how much more shall anyone who turns away from Jesus, who speaks basically from Mount Zion, the spiritual Mount Zion, heaven, that they're not going to escape judgment also. So the unbelieving Israelites who rejected, rejected God's word did not enter into the promised land. That's what we know of. They were judged for that. And then for other sins, many actually died and passed away in judgment. So the writer's saying, hey, if that's true, then those who reject Jesus and his word of salvation now will not enter into the heavenly promised land, right? The firstborn inherit, right? The, the inheritance is the heavenly promised land. So if they reject what Jesus says, his word, his salvation, then they're going to fall under judgment also. If that's what happened to unbelieving Israel, well, that's going to happen to anyone who rejects God's word. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I have not only the earth, but also heaven. He's going to shake heaven too. Verse 27, now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. All right, this is a little hard here, but, but okay, at Mount Sinai, first of all, God's voice shook the earth. Exodus 19:18, when he spoke, oh, the mountain was shaking. But God in the future, the writer is saying, will shake the earth again and heaven. Now, this word heaven is probably better translated the universe. And I, it's believed that the writer's quoting uh, Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And I believe that the writer is referencing or refers to the end times during the tribulation years. That last seven years of this world that we know of it today, God's going to be not only shaking the earth, but the whole universe. Uh, we'll be studying Revelation again, but when we studied it before, that even planets were, were taken out of orbit, and stars or meteors and stars began to fall, and all kinds of things happen and were affected not just the earth but the universe also revelation 6 and in the end now anything physical will be shaken verse 27 and what remains is what cannot be shaken and what he's talking about what is he talking about the eternal things they will be remaining so in other words in the end the eternal things will be the only things that will last so the idea is this, even though there's grace in Jesus, which is his love, right? God's love, right? God will still have to judge unbelief because of his 
holiness. And that's what he's bringing in here, this situation. So back in Mount Sinai, it was all about holiness, separation. But then now with Jesus, Mount Sinai, the heavenly uh, uh, Mount Sinai, that brings in God's grace and love. But the, the writer saying, look, but don't get things wrong now. God is still holy and God is love, but he will have to judge sin because of his holiness. Though he still loves, he still has to judge those who do not receive his love and especially the gift of salvation. So this is the situation, that's our heading, that the writer brings up. God will still judge sin. So he's saying, look, choose Christ. Understand that. Choose him. Barton, in his commentary, wrote, Don't put your confidence in what will be destroyed. Instead, build your life on Christ and his unshakable kingdom. And I like that because it's not of, our life isn't about this physical world, right? It's not about do's and don'ts and all that. It's about the eternal and it's about Jesus Christ and it's about our future in heaven. It's not about the temporal, but it's about what Christ has done for us so that we can enjoy and be in heaven with God forever. So now, verse 29, or 28, sorry. So verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So the writer saying in this verse now, if the eternal things are, that's what's going to last. That's what really matters. Then let us have grace. The word actually here, here, grace, means be thankful. Be grateful, he's saying, so that we can serve God acceptably. It means that we will be well-pleasing to God as we serve Him in thankfulness and, and gratefulness. We'll please God and we will also we should have godly fear, which is reverence and respect and giving honor and Him glory. So the idea here is this. Since we as believers in Jesus will receive eternal life, let us be thankful and do all we can to live for God and honor Him. It's both things, right? Holiness and love. It's, it, we respect His holiness, but we love Him back. And we obey Him because of His holiness and, and because we love Him too. What comes to mind here to me is Romans 12.1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's the idea. Because of God's love and how He showed us love, His grace toward us that, you know, we, we should honor Him because we don't deserve this at all. And so let us present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him. Then we close with verse 29 here with this chapter and this morning. Verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Here the writer reminds the reader that though God is loving and gracious and that's how we can get close to Him and we need to though respect Him, He still is a holy God, even though He's loving and gracious. So the writer's basically saying, reverence Him, reverence Him. For fire in the Bible is a picture of judgment. 
So God is this consuming fire. He's still holy, but and he's still going to uh, hold people accountable because he is holy. And if he is holy, he still has to give justice even to those who have done wrong. So God will bring full judgment to those who reject him and his word, Jesus Christ. So the idea is this. Be serious about the love that God has shown you. Don't abuse it. Don't reject it. For God is still a holy God who judges. He is a consuming fire. And I was thinking about this, how some people, you know, they like to just focus on the love of God, right? Oh, how God comforts me in times of hardship and how God is there for me, helping me. When I pray to him, he answers my prayer and blesses me and takes care of me, provides for me, protects me. But, when the temptation comes, when, the, when Satan comes with his temptation, or, or, or maybe the world comes with its influence, because they only focus on the love of God, they think, well, God loves me. It's okay. It's okay. I'll go sin. It's okay. I, I do this, right? But that's not right. God is both holy and loving. And you got to remember, yeah, God loves you. But at the same time, shouldn't we respect him for his holiness, Right? Others might focus on the holiness of God. They're very obedient. They seem to be strong in the Lord. But you know what? There's no love in that relationship. They tend to be all about the rules. They're very judgmental and legalistic with other people because that's, that's their main focus. It's the rules. It's, it's yeah, I got to follow. This is what God's Word says. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, and you know what's funny? I found people who are very judgmental and legalistic with other people, they may put that on other people, but to themselves, they let a little bit more slide. Yeah. But understand the balance is to see God as both holy and loving. To have a relationship with Him, a love relationship, a close relationship, knowing Christ's provision is there for our sins. But at the same time, we honor God in obedience. We honor Him. You know, you know I think about it this way. Man, God's given me all this love and grace. And you know what? I want to love him back. How? By being obedient to him and honoring him in that way. Right? I mean, Jesus talked about that. That he can, he'll see the evidence of love by the obedience to what he said. Well, our last point is this. God is both holy and loving. So be serious about the love he showed you in salvation. God is both holy and loving, so be serious about the love he showed you in salvation. Love him back. Be obedient. Honor him in obedience. But love him back in that way, too. I read a story about a man named Jeff Street. He was a 16-year-old parking lot attendant for an amusement park in New New York City. And when he was working there, he stole $40 from the cash register. Street, uh, he thought little about the incident over the years, but then he became a Christian when he was older. Six years later, Street sent the amusement park a check for $326. And it was money to repay the original $40 he took plus $286 in interest. When he was interviewed about this, he explained his actions. And this is what he said. I was praying at my desk and reading the word, and it just came to me. I had to pay back the money. It was more like an act of obedience. 
What happened to them? What happened to Jeff Street? Well, the fear of God seized him, that respect, that honoring God. He chose to be serious about the holiness, about holiness in his life because God loved him enough to save him. So right there, he renewed his commitment to serve God with reverence and awe. God is both holy and loving, so we have to be serious about the love he showed us in salvation. So how serious are you? God is calling you today to get serious about the love he showed you on the cross. I mean, a lot of us, we'll, we'll, we'll lean into that love part. Of course, I do that. But we also got to get serious with the love that he showed us. We got to be accountable to him because one day we will stand before the Lord Jesus. Let me put it to you this way. What have you done with the love God showed you? Have you taken advantage? Have you maybe abused it, you know? Or have you taken that love and the new opportunity you have to live for the Lord, to be that living sacrifice, and have you ran with all your might the race that is set before you? Jesus is calling out to you and I this morning that he wants to be in your life. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to have this relationship. It's a relationship based on grace and our faith in Him, and it's a love relationship we have. But at the same time, we got to respect His holiness. we got to respect that He is a holy God and not just take advantage, but know that He wants us to not sin, to not live in the flesh. And, and you know, Jesus wants to, you know, save us from ourselves, right? I think we're our worst enemy. He wants to give us freedom, right? He's not there to condemn us, but to forgive us and then help us run that race. To no longer fear, but accept His love and be motivated by loving Him back to live for Him. Jesus is calling out to you today. I'm going to close with this story. It's actually a, a story from Okinawa. In 1945, the Americans, the U.S. Uh, military came and defeated the Japanese during World War II in the battle for Okinawa. Now, uh, they say it was one of the most bloodiest battles in World War II, and many died, many died, and not just the soldiers on both sides, but many civilians passed, too, during that battle. Now, a, a big reason a lot of this, the, the, the civilians died is because they took their own life. See, when the Americans began to win the battle and start taking the island, uh, the Okinawans had believed what the Japanese propaganda was telling them, that the Americans were, were inhumane and hostile and they're going to be brutal, they're going to rape the women and all that kind of stuff. So they rather take their own lives rather than be uh, capture. There's a, a famous cliff there at the, uh, there's a, a park called the Peace Park dedicated to, to peace, not just in the world, but um, there's a cliff where many, um, they say like doctors, nurses, many Okinawans had jumped to their deaths because they were so afraid of the American brutality that was told them by, indoctrinated by them by the Japanese soldiers. Well, and with that, I recently learned a story about this American soldier named Takehiro Higa. He was actually from Hawaii, uh, 
who was part of the military intelligence and a translator for the Americans. He went there with the Americans and he actually called out to many of the Okinawans hiding out in the cave saying that, look, I'm Okinawan too. He named his parents, his grandparents, telling them he was born in Okinawa but grew up in Hawaii. And he was telling them that, look, you can trust me. You can, I'm an Okinawan boy, but I grew up in Hawaii. And he was saying this in the Okinawan language. And um, they listened. 200 people in that cave in Futenma, city that day they because of Higa's efforts their lives were saved one woman who was in there Toyo Tawad I think she was 20 at the times she said he was calling us by Okinawan language I heard his name was Mr. Higa he had saved so many lives and she said I owe Mr. Higa for the life I enjoy today so though they were filled with fear, the people believed the words of this one man and it saved their lives. Well, that's what Jesus has done for us, you guys. Though we may be filled with fear of the holiness of God, Jesus calls out to us today and says, look, God loves you. Yeah. God is love too. And we can see through Jesus that God gave his only begotten son to die for us that we may have eternal life and a new relationship with him. That's love. That's the love. So now, it is possible to be with this holy God in heaven, in this heavenly Mount Zion. So we behold God, not just His holiness and glory, but we will behold God in His love and grace also, in all His holiness and love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You, God, so much for Your Word, Lord, and it just is reminding us God, of your attributes, Lord. You are holy, but you are love also. And I pray today that, God, you would remind us of that, that you would instill in us, Lord, that not only do you love us, do you care for us, that you're there for us, Lord, but, God, you are holy and righteous, that you do have to judge sin in this world, and you will. You will judge this earth during the end times. But, God, as we are reminded of that, as we are reminded of your love for us and what you have done, Jesus, in dying for us, let us now honor you, God, by living for you in obedience and all of your glory. God, help us to be mindful of our own sin and the flesh that we give in to, God, that we may no longer give in and to temptation, that we would fight it with all our might, that we would be thinking about how, as you are holy, you want us to be holy also, that we would be working on ourselves of repenting of our sins, Lord, and no longer keep giving in to those things because you're holy, but you love us. Because we love, want to love you back, we want to be obedient and glorify you. God, instill these things in our hearts today, Lord, because, God, we want to live for you. Our lives belong to you. You have purchased us in your salvation. Lord, I don't know how else to pray and say this, but God, convict us, Lord, right now of our sin. Lord, I pray for each one of us right now. We know the sin that we have been allowing in our lives. Whether it's some action or maybe it's this attitude. 
Maybe it's a thought in our mind that should not be there. God, we want to run our race and not have it there. We want to honor you with it. We don't want to be lazy spiritually no more. But as we remember your love, let us remember your holiness and that, God, that's where revival starts. When we come to a place where we're truly repenting of our sins. So I pray for us here today that you would do that very thing, God, that you would convict our hearts and may we leave here, God, forgiven but freed but now committed to living in obedience to you. Here we are, Jesus. We surrender all to you, God. We live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.